Hey, it's Mike. It's Todd. And it's Evan. Welcome upstairs to another episode of the Third Floor Podcast. Last Monday of March, guys. And you know what's in three days? I have no idea. Opening day for baseball. Oh, of yes. course. But more importantly, we have a huge show ahead of us tonight. With us tonight, we have a former, yes, New York Times photographer on the show with us, Ty Wright. Ty, thank you for joining us. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Awesome. Um, Michael. Ty, we'd like to start this off. We have a very important question for you. Okay. Okay. This is going to set the tone for the entire show. Are you ready? Do it. Don't mess this up. <laughs> pressure. No pressure. <laughs> Do you like pineapple on your pizza? No. All right. <laughs> that hey, we're good. solid. <laughs> no. We're, we're two for two right now. Two for two. Yeah. Jordan Bell also said no. We so, got some okay. smart people on this podcast. I love pineapple. I love lettuce, but there's things that just don't mix texture-wise. No mm-hmm. argument there. It's a texture there. thing. Yeah. It really yeah. is. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I agree. Well, uh, yeah, as Evan said, Ty, uh, is he's a colleague of mine, um, and so haha to you guys. I get to work with him. Um, Ty has an incredible story. I had the privilege of having lunch with him. Um, what was that, like two? About two weeks two, ago. Two, three weeks ago. Yeah, something like that. We went over to the Hills Market downtown Columbus, got some pizza, Good-ass pizza. That that pizza is always so good. It's without good pineapple. Um, it's a good stable on the east side. Man. Yeah, no. yeah. And so Ty just, gosh, he was sharing his story. And uh, a little bit before the show, he was saying, you know, about how he backpacked through uh, South America and... Um, Central, Central, Central. Central America. Yeah. And, um, gosh, the, the, the part that really got me was, was the photography aspect, how you came into photography. And we're going to get into that later. Um, but, man... Uh, New York Times, uh, Bloomberg, Washington Post, NBC. I mean, the bit the, you don't just go shoot pictures for those types of companies and those types of stations. So props to you, sir. Thank you. Seriously, like that's impressive. It is an honor to have you on this show. It's nice to be um, here. Thank you. Yeah. So you already answered the pizza question. There we go. Second question out of the gate uh, is: What is your favorite spot in Columbus? Wow. And you can't see McDonald's or Wendy's. No. <laughs> I don't live in Columbus, so... So um, I guess in your area, maybe. Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go with Columbus. I think one of my favorite spots in Columbus would... I, I think one place that I always had the most history and the most... Actually, I'm going to say two. So there would be Dodge Skate Park for me, of course, which okay. is like one of the first skate parks in the state. Yeah. And then the Newport. Oh. The Newport for me was just... It was always a place to go see like these fantastic punk rock venues when I was young, and yeah. Sometimes we'd just find a show randomly, and then you'd be like, "Oh damn, look at that!" There's That's they're playing awesome. again. And I'd look up at the billboard and always wish that I could go back, and I didn't. So, yeah. And I've only been there a few times, but yeah. it was it's it's really not changed that much in the past twenty years. Has so there ahead. been a memorable band that you saw there? Yes, my favorite show I ever saw there was Bad Religion. Ooh. Along with Goldfinger in 1998. Wow. Okay. And I caught the cup that Greg Geffen threw from a guy and hit him in the head, and then I caught the rest <laughs> of the cup. So, That's and he's awesome. the lead singer of Bad Religion. So, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. That is awesome. I love the Newport as well. I've seen some of my favorite bands there. Um, like Need to Breathe mm-hmm. was uh, was there. Um, I just saw Ben Rector there. Um, gosh, it was yeah. That that venue. If I got the chance to ever play. Music there, that'd be so cool. It's hard to beat. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Newport's Newport's incredible. Um, but he touched on skateboarding. Yeah, I'm interested in that. Are you a, so, are you a skateboarder? Avid, yeah. Wow. Um, so I've been riding skateboard since about 1989. Um, so it's been... And how old actually. are you now? 32? Well, I'll be 42 in May. 42. So, no, I'm sorry, 1988. So I started when I was 10. Okay. Got my first skateboard in Daytona Beach, Florida. It was an action sport, the Wizard. Oh, it was that's awesome that my, you remember the name. Yep, my parents ran it over with the car eventually because no, I was a little kid and I never took it inside like I should have. Mm. Um, then it kind of just blossomed from there, you know. Uh, I got a lot of friends in the neighborhood, and back in those days, you know, we had to order videos from California or. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where the Mecca, where everything happened. Or New York kind of caught in late on the East Coast, but it kind of grew from the West and. Um, you know, I mean, it kind of took me everywhere. I cr- traveled across the country quite a bit. And, uh, we'd go skate all over Ohio, different states. Wow. Um, rode for a couple shops. 
back in the day. I, I kind of grew up like a street skater, so okay. Um, my big part was like in the '90s, early 2000s, and then I kind of switched more to ramp and pools. Okay. Um, and then I moved out west, and that's all I pretty much skated was pools and ramps for a long time. So nice. um, then, uh, kind of got out of it for a few years every once in a while, but uh, we moved to Central America for about a year and then uh, kind of globe trotted it just a tiny bit and then ended wow. up back here and now i got a i got a burr up somewhere and i decided to build a mini ramp in a barn that i have at my house that wow. wasn't being utilized for anything so i i like to say it was like a midlife crisis so i didn't instead of buying like a, a new mustang or a camaro i just built a ramp instead so <laughs> that sounds less drastic yeah it's good so, stress relief right yeah i don't have to go anywhere the kids can ride at a bunch of friends i mean we'll have like sessions that every i'm like the youngest guy so some of them are like 46 47 we're wow. still trying to all reach for a childhood so we're trying to find oh, yeah. it but that's yeah. awesome have you ever met tony hawk uh i have really oh, oh okay totally on the spot question years how years and years ago he wow. was in columbus really an old park called sun sports back in the early 90s that's incredible yeah. i was just curious yep you know i was thinking about like i was gonna ask him if he like knew like any big name skaters and the only one like that i really know is tony mm. hawk the, yeah so if you would like name drop somebody else besides tony hawk i've been like bam margera i don't know him didn't know bam margera um had some oh, friends that skated with bam margera uh, wow. I did know there, there's a guy on Instagram that's kind of pretty big now. His name's uh, Daywan Song. Okay. So if you ever see him skate, he's probably he's probably a little older than me. Okay. But he's still really technical and really good. Hmm. And I actually got to skate with him one on one in South Pasadena for like two and a half hours on a mini ramp session. That's and watching that guy was just like. So ridiculous. so tell us like do you have tricks like do do you do you actually like mm -hmm. do some crazy stuff like <sighs> not like I used to do you okay. have a go do you have a go to <laughs> like if someone's like hey give give me a little something uh it's it's more like runs so you kind of oh, combine yeah. a bunch of tricks together okay. there's there's certain tricks I throw into that like I don't really go out on the street and skate anymore now it's just mostly like mini ramps or pools nothing really big I mean okay. Anything under probably five feet is where I live these days. Nice. Um, I falling down hurts a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, not unlike it used to. So I always said I was better at falling down than skating anyway. So yeah. that's kind of my speed. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I actually went through a skating phase myself. My dad would laugh his ass off if he heard me talk about this, which he listens to the show. So he'll, he'll appreciate it. So your dad this. is laughing his ass off right now. Yeah, he, he probably to. will. All right, um, cool. So... My grandfather was a fabricator. He worked with metal, and, and he uh, built me a ramp, a, ro well, a rail, that was this flat piece of metal on sure. the bottom. And then from, uh, from one side, it just tapered up. Mm -hmm. And then, it, I mean, it was only like six inches off the ground. Sure. And uh, my friend Jordan in the neighborhood was this long-haired, hippie-looking dude. And uh, I became friends with him because I went to school with him, and he skated. And um, I... For the longest, it was, I don't know, I was like 12 years old, 14 years old, something like that. I was like, oh, I'm going to be a skater. I had hair down to my nose. It was great. I, it was almost as long as Evan's hair. Um, and uh, holy crap, man, I actually thought I was doing good, like doing well for myself. And there was this one day I would ride down my driveway, hit the rail, go across the rail, grind it, get off, and then go, you know try not to eat gravel yeah. um, or, or cement. This one day, man, it was terrible. And I, I promise I have a direction of where I'm going here. Um, I got up on the ramp and my like trucks the, the mm -hmm. on the skateboard got stuck or something. And it like threw me off. And I thought I was going to miss the end of the, the metal beam and my tailbone caught it. <sighs> mm. Yeah. Been there. And I literally busted my ass, mm -hmm. and it hurt so bad. And I just remember falling over in the middle of our cul-de-sac and just laying in the street for, like, a solid 10 minutes. Yep. I was like, F this. I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. This hurt. I scraped my arms up. I was just like, I can't do it. So all that to say, what, what has been – you mentioned, obviously, falling down hurts. Right. As you get older, you got to be more careful with your, with your bones. Uh -huh. Um. What has been your, like, worst ever injury? Well, I've broke my tailbone twice. Oh. So I know exactly how you feel if you didn't break it, but it, that sucks it really bad. It yeah. felt like I did. The worst, um, oh, man. 
I prob okay, I was 16. I was ollieing down this really big hill. And mm. for a whole summer, this was like my arch nemesis, man. I kept bailing and bailing and bailing. Finally, mm-hmm. I got I, I finally got the courage up to just go for it one day. And I kept landing and landing, start to roll away, start to roll away. And it's always like one more push or one more lean or whatever you do. And I, I leaned back a little too far and my foot slid off the tail and I broke my ankle mm. and I snapped it in all three bones. Oh man. And I did a thing called a trimalleolar fracture. So um, the danger of it was I was only about a th- an eighth of an inch away from the growth plate. And Ooh. I was probably about six inches shorter than I am now when I was 16. So I would have been, you know, I would have had a heightened shoe and probably not skateboarding at this time. You, you would have been the been, same size yeah. as me. So I had two screws and two pins put in my ankle. Wow. And uh, I broken two more ankles beyond that. And, but that was probably the worst. It wasn't the worst recovery time, but pain. Yeah. The surgery, I mean, it just oh, it, it hurt a lot. And it hurt for years after that, like when the weather changed. Yeah. You know, you'd feel like pressure in the weather, like the barometric pressure. You could mm-hmm. actually, a lot of people always said you could feel it when it rains. Mm-hmm. And you could, I don't know, maybe I just kind of built it up in my head, but I was like, I was always thought I was like Jim Goodall. <laughs> and I could tell like when it was going to, I was like, wow, it's going to, it's going to, there's a 40% chance there's going to be precipitation today. Big <laughs> on my ankle. <laughs> Oh, but yeah, man. that was that was not a fun moment. So, yeah. well, I'm curious. You don't hear much about the skateboarding community. How, what's that like? Is it more like it feels like a family? Is skate are skateboarders more solo? You know, I, I think I think it's evolved over the years. You know, um, I think when I grew up in the group I was with, it was more. I mean, I was at a solid family. Some of us didn't. Um, some people had acted more as a family and would uh, kind of attach more onto the group. I kind of was attached to friends and family a lot. Um, a lot of people, some of the people I used to still even ride with, man. I've known them for th- almost a little over 30 years, and we still ride together. That's awesome. Um, not, a, not a lot, but we'll still see each other sometimes. I think, you know, the older you get, you're like, my kids are into it now, which is so awesome. I love it. And then some of my other friends come up, and they bring their kids. And now it's like more family-oriented, but... Some people are very solo based when they ride. Some are some use it for transportation that we see more and more around like mm-hmm. inner city. Yeah. I mean, that didn't really exist when I started. You know, I mean it was more yeah. of a I don't want to say grassroots, but it was more like a, a screw you to like the everyday normal society, man. We were just doing our own thing, you know. Like we didn't yeah. fit in, in baseball, we didn't fit in, in football, which I played both. Well, I didn't really I played backyard football, but I played baseball for like eight years. Okay. I ran track. I did all kinds of stuff, but like skateboarding was the one thing that kind of let me be me. Mm. And I don't know. I, you could kind of show your passion. You could show your true colors of who you were and dress the way you wanted and just be you. And back in those days, you know, a lot of parents didn't support it. Mine just jumped on board, man. My parents loved that I skated. I mean, they took me everywhere. They took us to Florida. They take me to contests. They take me all over the place, man. They were awesome my That's mom really and dad cool. were wonderful about it so yeah well shout out to your mom and dad yeah they were they were great yeah um so uh with, with that in mind just this whole idea of skating and tra- you mentioned transportation it got me thinking about this question mm-hmm. <coughs> excuse me as i choke on my cough um have you guys seen those scooters around town they're mostly downtown oh like the birds Bird yeah, the bird scooters. How do you feel about those? Just curious. Man, I don't know if I should answer this one. Uh, I, c- I come okay. from a different era of skateboarding, man. So, like, scooters and some other stuff, we just didn't. Is there, like, some bad blood there? I, You can plead the fifth. <sighs> no, I'm okay. I'll just go for it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I, so, you know, there used to be a thing when I was growing up. It was yeah, early 2000s. It was rollerblades, man. Like. Okay. We mm-hmm. just didn't like rollerbladers. It was a thing. Yeah, I, I, I have nothing. I have no qualms against them now. But, you know, it was like skateboarders versus rollerbladers. It's right, like surfers right. versus bodyboarders. It's, right. You know, there's just that thing. But scooters, man, I just, I, I, they just look like they hurt really bad. I yeah. just, fine. I mean, I've seen some people do them on videos, and they're like, they're, I, I can't even explain what they do. It's insane. Yeah. You can flip and whatever quasi mctwist quadruple flip i don't know whatever whatever you want to do and but for me i just i i did a recent little bit of research on the razors when they first came out and they had like the highest injury rate of any other 
alternative sport out there. You ever been smacked in a shin by <laughs> no, a razor? No, I, I don't want to be. <laughs> I was that just getting ready to say <laughs> so that. So you're bad. You're not doing anything. Right. So bad. And it right. rolls around. What? And right. see, this is oh. this is where I default. This is where I go with like, you have these electric scooters, right? Mm-hmm. That anybody can jump on with an app. That is the worst idea ever. Anybody. Anybody. In any I, state of mind. I saw some lady in like North High. Now this is a few months back. It was probably kind of right when they first got around Columbus. Yeah. And I see this lady, and she's. I don't know if she was inebriated, but she sure as hell looked like it. And she's <laughs> riding this thing, and then. You know, like, if you go real fast on a skateboard, you start getting speed wobbles, right? Right. Well, I see this lady, like, doing the same thing on this thing, and she's wearing high heels. I'm like, you don't have a chance in hell getting off that thing. You're like, you're doomed, right? So Bye-bye <laughs> she, ankles. She, she, she bit it. She bit it hard, too. And, like, there was a crowd of people. They don't even, like, help her. They just start laughing at her. And You know, I've been a skateboarder for a long time, so when somebody falls, I immediately laugh, too. So that's, I, it, was, it, was, it was pretty funny. I'm not going to yeah. lie, but felt a little bit bad for her. I yeah. think you have a higher risk of being betrayed by a um, scooter than a skateboard. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, I agree. Now, you said this thing is controlled by an app? The, the, like the limes or the birds? I actually downloaded okay, it. Yeah. I, I, I secretly I downloaded the lime app just to see what it looked like, <laughs> and then I deleted it. I want to know, like, because like, it's an app control. So, like, I just picture, like, somebody, like, you're walking down, like, a city street, you see somebody riding a line, you pull out the line map, you find the scooter nearby, you press a button, you just see the other person just fly over because you've stopped their scooter. <laughs> That's what I picture right there. Right. I could picture that, yeah. Just, cause you be want, just because you want to mess with somebody there. Yeah. See, I, I, think, I think it's kind of like a segue, though, in all honesty. Oh. Yeah. Everybody has, like, you, you think they look completely stupid, mm-hmm. but everybody has the secret indulgence that they really want to ride one. Yeah. And I know damn well I really do. Well, look, when it gets to be that nice summer day and you see people cruising around on it's them. It's going to happen. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to just pop yeah. on one on campus and just and go downtown like, and get some Indian I get it. You just go pull up right <laughs> next to me <laughs> exactly. as I'm walking across. Yeah. Like, Todd, what's up, buddy? How are you doing? Dude, like, dude let, let me get a ride. <laughs> <laughs> if we start piggybacking on birds and lions, man, then there's a problem. So. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Well, that's that's a, that's a good answer. Very well worded. Um <laughs> So uh, I think this is a good transition point. We, you know, we we've kind of gotten to know you from from your personal life, your your hobbies and things like that. And um, you guys have got to check out the picture of the the ramp that he built. It's incredible. You showed oh, me yeah, the other yeah, day. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I want to transition into uh, more of your career and okay. and your uh, your history with photography. So. Um, that that honestly is what we've been promoting the most about you. You you know I've been talking it up a lot. You've got an incredible, um, just an incredible story. Thank you. And uh, so I want to share that with our listeners. Um, yeah, pretty cool, right? So for for you guys that are listening, <laughs> he's passing around he, his phone, and yeah. this is a legit. <laughs> like, dude, ramp. check this out. Yeah, this, this is this like is a, when you said it was in a barn. I'm thinking, oh, okay. It's like you go down once, you're done. This is a <laughs> yeah. legit skate. No, ramp. it's real. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, for yeah. real. We built a, like a half pipe. Professional it's, stuff. It's not yeah. real big, but it's um, it's fun. You yeah. can you can work on that. Oh yeah. yeah. And so you can, and you can get worked on that too. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so um, before we go in and we ask Ty about his photography thing, I just want to kind of tell like a little story. You'll probably find this funny. So, okay. you know, in high school you have to have like a certain amount of credits like to graduate, and there's like a certain number of art credits. I'm horrible at art, like drawing wise, I can't draw anything. And digital photography was one of the art options you could do. And I needed one more art credit to graduate. So I decided, I'll take digital photography because how hard can that be? I mean, you're just taking pictures. And when I got in the class, it's like a whole other animal. It like, it really, it's not like you're just, because anybody now with like the technology you have with smartphones can just like take a picture and like mm-hmm. make it look nice, you can edit it all. But like the actual like photography, there's so much more that goes into it that I don't think like the common person knows. And like, Terms like aperture and depth and all that. I mean, just for you, like, I guess getting into it, like, where did you find the passion, like, that you knew it was something that you were truly, like, good at doing? Um, I actually kind of started late in photography, believe it or not. I was 18. Okay. And uh, when I was younger, I was always kind of enamored. I always wanted to either be a firefighter or a photographer. Don't ask me why. I really did. I wanted to be. Why? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just, I remember I saw a piece on a photojournalist years ago. I was probably like six or seven. This was back in uh, probably 1982. And I think it was a guy named Sam Abel. And it was an old National Geographic I saw. 
And Sam was actually from Sylvania, Ohio, a little wow. right outside of Toledo. Little, little small, tiny little burg. I think that's where, I'm not, don't quote me on that, but I think that's where he was from. Okay. And uh, his work was phenomenal. And I, I, you know, I don't know what, I don't know what the subject matter was. I didn't know what it was, but it just really caught my eye. And then, you know, you go through life, you go through the motions, you go through grade school, elementary school, high school. And then um, right after high school, it was probably 1996. Just got back from California, and I needed a job. I mean, I was unemployed, skateboard dude, <laughs> trying to figure out life. I was, like, going on 19. I'm like, right. okay, time to get some employment, make some money. Yeah. So um, I got a job. A buddy of mine was working in this camera shop in Zanesville, Ohio, where I was born and raised, and uh, it was called Pictures Plus. They did a little bit of everything. They did, like, custom camera sales. They did one-hour development. But we also had a color darkroom. We had a studio in-house. They did camera repair. They did weddings. They did car, like, dirt track racing. Right. Shot the fairs. We did aerial work. I mean, a little bit of everything. But everything I shot in those days was film. So, you know, I had to learn how to develop my film. But normally you start learning black and white. But I learned color, and then I learned black and white when I went back to college. So, um, I kind of started doing all the work on the back end without making pictures first and then I kind of bought my first camera which was a Pentax K1000 that came with about three lenses and I shot the hell out of this thing man I mean I shot everything people's cars friends taking lights out just trying to figure out shooting at night I mean I shot I shot probably six seven rolls of film a day every time I shot incredible and so it just kind of blossomed from there and um, yeah so, so I, I was kind of, it's cool to hear about that, about the developing the film side of things, because, um, kind of going back to what Evan was saying, I, my first year out of high school, I went straight into full-time being a full-time college student at a community college in my area. And, uh, yeah, um, sorry, my phone went off. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty incredible, um, to learn about the technology, but the the film side of it, I, did you ever do a pinhole camera where they I had, did? I, I sucked at that so bad. Um, I've and, only done it a couple times. I mean, I, I wasn't great at it, but it was really fun. I did it out of an old Quaker oatmeal box, whoa. so okay. it was kind of like a round pinhole. And Interesting. It was, it was really fun. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I sucked so bad at it. Um, I remember. Um, yeah, well, the thing about a pinhole is it's kind of an estimated game of chance. Exactly. So you exactly. don't really know what you're getting, but you might get really lucky, or you more than likely you're probably not going to. Yeah, it's almost like a science experiment. You right. got like you got to like expose the pinhole for like 20 right. seconds, and then it's like, oh, I got a white square, yep. so that was too long. And it depends on how much emulsion you paint on the piece of paper, or so I don't even know what emulsion was. So it's like the it, it's the liquid that you put on a piece of paper uh, that you stick inside of a see, pinhole, and then it reads the light. So if you put more, you put less. You know the light, the time the light takes from the hole to get to the paper is going to be either and then soak into the paper it could be longer or less but just okay it depends on how long you leave it sit there so i'm pretty so i'm gonna have my professor i still connect with her on facebook um to this day this has been what seven years now um i'm gonna have to have her listen to this episode because <laughs> she's gonna be so mad that i don't remember that i know for a fact she probably covered it so uh miss Krause, i'm, I'm really sure she'll sorry. give you a little forgiveness yeah she, she'll have to yeah. um okay so that's really cool um so you got into photography mm-hmm. um you you mentioned traveling to central america and, yep. and backpacking how did that impact your your photography journey your your career sure um, i'll have to backtrack just a tiny little bit so sure um, I was in uh, school at OU in 97 to 99. I did a, actually electronic media, okay. which is kind of, I, I was actually a, like a radio DJ for about a year and a half. Okay. So this type of setup feels yeah, pretty good. Yeah, I did, um, but we like cut and splice tape still. Uh, yeah. And then I used to spin records and all kinds of stuff. Nice. And it was mostly a jazz station, so it was 90.1 FM and in Muskegon County, if anybody wants to listen to jazz. <laughs> so, but we, we, we didn't really, that was, so somebody got in trouble with the college years ago. So we, it was just a strict jazz format, uh-huh. which we didn't really obey. Oh. So we'd go in and play like a jazz record. And then we'd play like anything we wanted for the next hour and a half. Nice. So we'd like, they told us we were only allowed playing stuff in the studio, but we'd play, I mean, anything. Oh, it was crazy. Anyway. So, um, 
I went there and then I went to OU and I did my uh, Bachelor's of Fine Arts. I did that in photography as well. And then kind of went all head on. I mean, and then I got married uh, 25, worked for about five different newspapers in Ohio for, I don't know, probably seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. And then my, I was living in Wapakoneta working at the Lima News, and my wife was doing her dissertation um, at Wright State University. She's a psychologist, and uh, she was in the bedroom, which, which was kind of a makeshift office, and I just heard her kind of yell out, and I was watching The Matrix, kind of drinking a few beers, and I was watching the whole trilogy. And nice. uh, Very eerie she, setting. Yeah. She got really frustrated over this dissertation, just decided that she needed a break. Mm. And uh, I said, well, let's go to, the, you know, we'll go to Mexico for like two weeks. Just take a break. And she's like, no, I need longer. I said, well, let's, we'll go for a month. And she was like, no, I need longer. So I, I riddled a year off just kind of thinking it wouldn't stick. But she said, okay. And literally, that was it. That's all it took. Wow. For, for, for another two years, we moved out to the West Coast. But then we ended up selling our cars, got rid of our, about half of what we owned, put the rest in a lock and stock. It took off. So we ended up just traveling with two backpacks. And, um. I don't know. It really changed a lot of things, not just photography, but it changed a lot of right. things in life, man. I mean, you realize that you don't need a lot of stuff to live. You can mm-hmm. live minimally or you can live with a lot of things. I mean, it's just your preference. You're but. speaking Evan's language. Sure. Have you ever watched the documentary on Netflix called The Minimalist? Yeah, I have seen parts of it. OK, yes. yeah, I, I watched that last year and I'm tr- I'm not fully minimalist, but I'm trying to get to the point where like I don't. I have as few like of those material possessions as possible because, mm-hmm. like, you said the traveling thing. Like, I just want to be able to like drop everything. Yep. I have a travel backpack now; can carry five to seven days worth of clothes, and I just want to go. Right. Because, as a diehard baseball fan, it's my goal to go to all thirty parks before I turn thirty. Nice. And I've been to seventeen so far. Nice. I've got plans to go to a few more this year. Cool. But uh, yeah, I think that's awesome. Like, you know, you guys just decide like, hey, let's just go like backpack because yeah. like, there's so much out there in the world right yet you know you never see right and you know like a lot of things you know back then it was just more about like what am I going to experience where am I going to be how is it you know I, I never did a, I did, didn't do a lot of international travel I traveled in the U.S. for sure but you know you could you could speak the same language and almost go 3,100 miles and you don't, you know what I mean? You're, yeah. We're very privileged here with that. Yes. But down there, you know, everybody thinks, oh, they just speak Spanish. No. There's languages of Garifuna, which is like an old slave language along the coast. And it's kind of like Creole mixed with German and Dutch. Wow. The, and Spanish. Then you have Creole in Belize. Then you have in, if you're in Quintana Roo, where it's like the state of the, in the Yucatan, where like Tulum and Plato Carmen and... Uh, uh, sorry, I'm blanking on the biggest one. Uh, where's the destination, everybody? Cancun, geez, sorry. <laughs> but there's 32 dialects of just Mayan language there, and some people don't even, some of those tribes don't even speak Spanish. Wow. So it, de- it depends on how far you get out of the cut into the woods, then you yeah. just, you know, like, I don't know Mayan. So I couldn't communicate with other people. So there's a lot of different cultures and cultural barriers that you have to overcome in That's these so places. Cool. And, you know, I, then you have to depend on guides and different people like that. But um, I learned a ton Man. from just sleeping on a beach or sleeping, you know, in somebody's house. Or we'd do homestays and go to language schools. But, you know, they'd take you out in the city so you could actually speak Spanish to real people. And that's, that's incredible. It, w- it was really cool, man. It was a good time. But we did every country in between Mexico and Costa Rica. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Every country. And then we went to the Panama Canal and turned around, came back to Costa Rica and flew home. Almost a year to the day. Wow. I'm guessing you took advantage and did a couple projects while you're out there, right? No. No. I shot a lot, but it was more just For kind yourself. of responses to what I'd see. Yeah. And um, it ended up making me want to go back to graduate school. Um, I, I started talking about that a lot, a little bit before I left, but then I really... so I. I I never had a degree in photojournalism. Mm-hmm. I, I always did like assignment work at newspapers. So I wanted to do more storytelling work, like actual dive in and do hardcore stories and go places and, you know, connect with people and tell, you know, like find these marginalized communities and talk to people about what they go through on a daily basis. And uh, I got back and I started to work in Lancaster, Ohio. I got a job when I was actually in Nicaragua and they waited on me for a few months and my job wife got a job at, uh, OU and the College Counseling Center. 
So it kind of worked out, but uh, awesome. she did an interview in Panama and got the job, and then we came home like a month later. And uh, I worked in Lancaster for a year, but it was cool. I mean, it was just another daily newspaper, but it just wasn't what I wanted. And then uh, OU had a graduate program, which was like the number one photojournalism graduate program in the country then. And right. literally, it was like 45 minutes down the road. Well, it's smack dab in a beautiful area. <sighs> Can't beat it. And... You know, Athens is a very marginalized community. It's yeah. the poorest county in, a- in, uh, in Ohio right now. So, wow. you know, everybody goes there and kind of tells, ev- the common denominator is everybody always tells the same stories, which isn't true. I mean, everybody's got a different story. So, right. But it changed the game a lot of things. Yeah, it was, it was, it was amazing. That's incredible. Um, well, this is definitely going to be a longer episode, just if you're still listening. I was just so, about time. Yeah. Uh, usually I just looked up at the, uh, the the clock here, and usually we're like, bam, done, 30 minutes, knocked out. But this is a special episode because there's only one tie right uh, that we care about. Um, so we're going to keep going as long as you're cool with it. Yeah, that. totally. Um, because we haven't even gotten to the New York Times and Bloomberg, sure. Washington Post. Yeah, some Post, of your actual projects um, that you've worked on. The 2016 presidential campaign, which, like, I just remember the one story – <laughs> that we'll get into, but um, anyways, so let, let's talk about like the big break. So obviously, you know, you go to OU. You mm-hmm. you were telling me at the, the when we had lunch a couple weeks ago, you you were just telling me like OU an, has an incredible program mm-hmm. there. Um, so fast forward, you go through the program, you graduate, um, and then how how did you go from OU to to the to the big leagues? Um, what was that transition like? And obviously, I don't, I can't imagine it happened overnight. But then again, you know, it all, uh, as people have say, you know, it's all in who you know. Mm-hmm. But like, you obviously had the talent because you didn't just work for the Times. You you worked for so many people. Mm-hmm. Um, what what was that like? What was that transition like? Well, it's n- number one. It's not a really big world. You know, there's right. not a lot. I mean, there's a number of people doing it. Don't get me wrong, but it's just. It's like a lot of other specialized professions. So right. um, I was in a class, a small class with about seven people, well, about eight people in our sequence in right. photojournalism. And um, they, they were amazing. They, it, uh, the school and the professors teach you one thing, but the people you're in class with teach you a whole different thing. Mm. And they really pushed me, and we were, re- we were all really close. I actually just hung out with a bunch of them this weekend. And... Uh, we still push each other, you know, and right. uh, they pushed my work into a direction that I didn't even know I could. I didn't even know some of the things I could do. And um, uh, with a lot of help from them and a lot of help from the program I was in, I got out of college and I ended up um, getting an internship at the Columbus Dispatch for about seven months. Nice. And then after that was over, I didn't really know what the hell I was going to do. And, and uh, what year was this? The this dispatch? was right around 2011, 2010 okay. into 2011, like. I think I left there in February and um, I didn't have a clue. So I just basically started throwing my name in the hat. You know, you find editors, emails and names and you could call a bunch of people that you know and you're like, Hey, who do you know? And um, it's, it's a lot about who you know and who likes you and who do you like and you know, the relationships that are built. And uh, right. Do you feel like going to school helped build those oh, relationships? Oh, those letters, OU, definitely helped in a big realm. I mean, you know, if you're in a, imagine being at a pond mm-hmm. and you throw in a fish hook and the school of fish are swimming towards it. A lot of them are like OU fish. And, uh, you know, but they're OU fish that are 30 years old. Mm-hmm. They've been, that program has been around for 30 some years. So oh. there's a lot of talent that's spread in a lot of different places in the corners of this country and the corners of the world. So, um, it definitely helps having that alumni connection, and um, you know, and they and they know your work ethic and a lot of people that that, and they can kind of see it and they can kind of feel you out. I mean, not everybody fits the realm of being a freelancer. It's a it's a hard ass profession, mm-hmm. but um, I started throwing stuff out to the Times and um, I used I worked for Bloomberg when I lived in Oregon years ago, but it, the the format changed. Some new people came in, so I hadn't worked for them in a long time and. A lot of friends introduced me. A lot of colleagues that I met through calls introduced me to people. And um, it just kind of grew from there. And I remember I got a call one day from the Times, the New York Times. And, and now, I wasn't a staff guy for the Times. I was actually a free a contractor. Right. I was an independent contractor for the Times. So I got a call for a story. It was my first one. And it was 
probably one of the harder stories I, I'd worked on before. Really? And it was about a guy named Sergeant Bales, and he was from Norwood, Ohio, but some really horrific stuff happened overseas in conflict, and um, that I needed to make some pictures of... His family lived in Norwood, supposedly, but we couldn't find him, and so we just ended up trying to track things down, and it actually worked out fairly well. And, um, it kind of grew from there, so wow. more work started coming in, started working on some of my own, own projects and things like that, so yeah. Man, that's incredible. Yeah. So... I think we, we have it on our list here of things. We, we could literally ask you so many questions, I'm <laughs> sure. But um, w- one of the things that we wanted to ask is uh, what was it like covering that 2016 presidential campaign? And obviously, we talked about this prior to the show sure. and, and last week a little bit. This is just anybody that's listening to this. This is not where we're going to start talking about political views and crap like that. This is strictly focused on what it was like as a professional photographer at a presidential campaign. Right. Well, and I'm curious because new candidates are ramping up for the mm-hmm. 2020 campaign. When do you kind of have to start ramping up? Are you going to be doing this again? Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Um, I, I'll just go to 2016. Um, so I didn't really ever think I would fall into being like kind of a person in Ohio that covered a lot of campaign stuff. I mean, I did a little bit in prior years in elections like 04. That's kind of when I started. And I'd covered like Bush coming to Ohio a couple times. Didn't know what I was doing. Did a little <laughs> bit more in 08. Um, some people came to Lancaster. Still really didn't know what I was doing. 2012, picked up a little bit more work. Did some stuff for the New York Times and a few other things. But still kind of clueless. And then around 2015... I started going more campaigns. I think I did 50-some campaigns that year just Jeez. in Ohio. And then a lot of stories about, you know, um, the presidential race and a lot of things and, you know, different communities that were affected and right. um, a lot of stuff in West Virginia, a lot of stories that ran around what people would say and, you know, what what campaigns, what what what, uh, what politicians would go where and talk about what and how right. that would affiliate with that at general area and those sure. stories. Um, and then... I mean, the campaigns were, it, they were interesting. I mean, they were hard. It was, uh, you know, it, you're, you're going to cover like the kind of the same thing a lot of the time. And you look for these visual cues that, and how to make really solid imagery and imagery that's going to transcend uh, and, and and let people really think about where they are and what they're seeing and what you're seeing. You know, mm. I, I believe that, you know, you shoot for an audience. Right. And... You have to trim, but you have to give your audience credit because an audience is smart. They're smart people. They're not, you're not, you don't have to give them and spoon feed them the information. You know, you can be creative and, you know, the more you think that makes, you know, it gives them a, a it gives them a chance to think about what you see and what the story is going to be about. So um, I would go in usually like two or three hours early. And start making a lot of what I always called like pregame photos. So I would go, or I shot video too of a lot of this too. Um, but I would go and shoot like people walking around outside with signs or some people selling campaign buttons or people that would follow the campaigns nationally. And, you know, there were, I remember one time there was a guy that smoked a pipe and he'd park his I had a big truck around and he had it and he'd follow Mitt Romney everywhere. Wow. And then you, you all probably remember that guy. Then there was another guy that played the guitar that followed Trump around everywhere. I can't remember his name, but I'd seen him a number of times. and We got to know each other. He'd be like, hey, what's up, man? He'd be like, hey, how are you? <laughs> and, uh, you know, you make a lot of friends along the way. That You know, you're in the back, and you're waiting there for two and a half, three and a half, four and a half hours. And right. you end up becoming friends with people in D.C. and New York and Cali. and I mean, kind of from wherever. There'd be, there were people at bigger rallies from all over the country. And sometimes smaller rallies, it was more the local side of the people that you got to know really well. So that kind of made things a little bit more homey. Um, but it was still like, you know, you're gone from your families a lot. You're yep. on the road a lot. You're, there's a lot of time. There's a lot of sit and wait. Um, but so to try and mitigate that weight, you'd shoot. You'd file stuff back to New York or D.C. Then you'd go out and shoot again. And that's kind of war. But, you know, a normal day, I'd be driving two and a half, three and a half, four hours one way, go shoot all day and then hop, file it and then come back in your car and go home. And then you sleep for three or four hours and go do it again the next day. Now that wasn't like that all the time, but you know, during the campaign, as a freelancer, you, I had to turn work down. 
I mean, that, that doesn't happen a lot here in the Midwest right. because if you live in a bigger city and you're a freelancer, and if I'm going too long, just let me know. No, back. you're fine. Um, if you live in a bigger city, a lot of people work for, you know, one or two people. Right, there's, right. But when you live in the Midwest and there's not a big – if you're not in a bigger city mm-hmm. and you live more rurally, but the cities are even smaller, you have to – you work for various people right. that kind of make up that base of your income. you got to you know? cover a lot of ground. Right, right. Yeah. So um, – yeah, I mean, it was it was crazy. It was cool. It was hectic. Um, it was emotional sometimes. Sometimes you'd see things that you'd be right in the middle of the national news story. And you were like, whoa. Like, yeah. it, you'd realize it sometimes. Sometimes I wouldn't realize it till later, and it, probably everybody else did. But I was like, whoa, what? what, what? <laughs> I remember, like, I was covering Trump. I think it was in, oh, what was that town? It was, on the, it was over on I-75 north of Dayton. Some town starts with a V. I can't remember the name of it. We were at some little tiny, it was one of those hangar rallies. And I remember somebody, I thought somebody popped the gate. And I'm sitting over here hanging with a friend of mine who was from grad school. He was shooting for some, I think he was shooting for the New York Times. And he was from, down from New York. Okay. He was visiting, so he was doing a project in Indiana. And then he came over to Dayton because it wasn't a far jaunt. Yeah. Like a, couple a couple hours. hours. Yeah. And I was covering it for somebody else. And we were like, whoa, shit, you know, hey, how are you doing? So we like piled <laughs> around and. I'm standing over here, and I see it's, like, big security dude. I don't know if he was – I don't think he was Secret Service. I think he was, like, more like Homeland Security or something. And I, I'm looking down at my camera at some of these photos I just made, and, and I hear people just freaking out. And I look up at the stage, and, like, Trump's, like, surrounded by a whole bunch of Secret Service people. Holy crap. And I saw this water bottle fly through the air and almost <laughs> smack him in the head. And apparently some guy jumped the fence and tried to get up one through the buffer, which is like the little area around the, right. the stage, and tried to get up one stage by the podium. I bet that didn't go well. No, but, you know, we like I actually made some pictures of this that, you know, I'm like looking around, and I was like, do, 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 you know, shooting. And then my buddy made the same pictures, and we were like, whoa, we actually got it. And I, I got like <laughs> two frames out of like the ten that I shot that were – not with somebody in the wrong spot or blocking the frame. Right, it actually right. worked out. So, But, you know, sometimes the crazy things would happen. Sometimes it would just be a talk and it would be over. Right. So, I don't know. You never really knew what you were going to see that day, which yeah. was kind of always exciting. But I, I, I really enjoyed the stories that kind of went around the campaigns. Yeah. So, if I was in an area and say – I remember I was doing a New York Times story in West Virginia one time, mm-hmm. and they ended up sending a guy over from their bureau in Cairo, Egypt, and it was wow. doing a piece about how, uh, like, uh, what was his name? Dec- Declan. He was, I think, he was from Ireland originally, or some. I think it was Ireland or Scotland, and then he worked in Cairo, and then um, we would. I don't know. It was like an international look at the way the campaigns were going. And, and he I, ended up in West Virginia? Yeah, he was in West Virginia. Okay. He traveled around, around the country for a few months. And, but I just got to hook up with him right, right at the start of the trip. But it was really cool, man. We ended up spending a couple of days down there. So it was a lot of fun. That's incredible. Yeah, it was neat. So you, you got to meet people like that all the time. A lot of people, yeah. That's really incredible. cool people. How yeah. many states did you hit up on the campaign? <sighs> you can remember off the top of your head. I think I did stories around it altogether. It would have been um, Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, West Virginia, Kentucky, Pennsylvania, all over Pennsylvania, New York. Uh, I think that was about it. Man. That's I still mean, a lot of ground to cover. Though. Yeah, I mean, oh, I yeah. did some, uh, sure. I did some other stuff, but not really campaign or politically oriented. Well, the interesting south. thing about Ohio is that it's a hotbed come campaign time. Yeah. 16, it was a hotbed, but it kind of didn't end up being the clincher, which was really That's weird true. for the first time in 40 years, but you know. Yeah, a <laughs> little different. Yeah, it was, it was totally different. Did you have any run-in with any of the uh, candidates? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so I was on a pool press, which is like you're kind of in with the national pool people, so it's like the big bus that follows behind a candidate. And I was doing that with Hillary in West Virginia, which was a really weird time. Um, a lot of people were, you know, not really happy she was there. And, um, we were doing a thing and everybody on the bus, and this is my first time doing it. So I didn't really understand a lot of what was going on. It's kind of long. Yeah. 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 It's kind of, it felt like I did that every once in a while. And, uh, I kept hearing these people say, oh, we're going to have an OTR, an OTR. And I'm like, oh, a what? And I was like, what? Uh Tell me what that abbreviate or that, what was the acronym? Yeah. Acronym. I was like, what does that stand for? And they're like off the record. 
Oh. And I was like, okay, so I'm booking a I'm booking a hotel and apparently we were going to this other hotel. So I left my stuff on the bus and then went to this hotel. And we get kind of walked in by Secret Service or security, and then there's a person called a press lead and that was kind of taking us back in and all of a sudden there's like this table placed for me, I don't know, like twenty people, twenty some people and there's all these dishes and, you know, like secret services standing around all of us. And then Hillary walks in. So we oh, got man. to have dinner for with Hillary. I don't know. It's probably an hour, hour and a half. And uh, is she you, a nice lady? Played the fifth. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, she was nice enough. I mean, you know, you're not going to get to know somebody, anybody in an hour right. and a half, you know. So well, uh, I feel like we're getting to know you. Oh, well, yeah. So. Well, yeah. I mean. But you're cool, so I don't know about <laughs> Hillary. So she, I mean, she was nice, and that's good. She at uh, least she didn't she, throw food at you. No, but the cool thing was like you got to talk to you could ask them any question you wanted. Okay, and if they wanted to answer, they could, but you couldn't record it, you couldn't write mm. it down, you couldn't do anything. And then um, I got to talk to her about this picture a friend of mine made who actually was outside at one of the rallies where she was wow. at in Ashland, Kentucky, I believe, where is where we were. Wow. And he had a picture of Chelsea that he'd shot in Wyoming years ago when she was on horseback, when she was like a teenager. Hmm. And he gave her a print. And then I saw her inside, and I told her that was my buddy that did the photo. And she was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. I got that photo. Wait, my, my assistant grabbed it. Yeah. That's so She cool. was all stoked. So That's awesome. Yeah. And then I got to meet – I flew in Trump's plane once. That was pretty interesting. That Whoa. is very interesting. Yeah. How did that go? That was interesting. That was a weird day. So <laughs> – yeah, I mean, how do you? <laughs> hey, I'm on Trump's plane. How does that happen? You ever do you ever just find yourself in those moments, like as you were doing these like huge stories, where you're just like, how did? Do you, it's like a, you step outside of your. That was one of them. Yeah, like you just have an outer <laughs> body experience for a second. Almost. I wouldn't say it was outer body, but it was a holy shit moment. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I mean, we were, we like nobody. I mean, we all knew that nobody flew on that thing. And, right. Um, you don't just get to I, say. No, that. we were we were around Cleveland. And we were covering a uh, an FOP lodge, like a fraternal order of police lodge. Oh, okay. And he was giving a talk there, and then so it was a really weird assignment. So it was another pool day kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I had to. They, he basically the the essential thing they were going to go to the Canfield County Fair, which is like a it's actually the biggest county fair in the state, and wow. it's close to it's not too far from Youngstown, and um, so I said I would go up. So I was going to have to drive my car up there. And then we were going to go from Cleveland, the Cleveland airport, over to Youngstown and fly. Okay. And I was going to be on a charter plane behind his 757, like his own Trump plane. Okay. And then we were going to land, cover the fare. And then I was going to take a taxi from Youngstown back to Cleveland. <laughs> it was just one of those days. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, that was just literally, it was one of those days. And uh, so we went from the FOP Lodge. Then we went to a... My, uh, I can't. It was some little restaurant. It was owned by a family of migrants from somewhere, hmm. and I, I don't know. It was like first generation, I think. They talked there. They let us in. We made some pictures there. Had like glad handing and shaking hands and stuff. And then um, we get back to the airport, and I knew. And there was another photographer from the New York Times. I was on for the Times that day too. And my buddy, a uh, guy I know, just we we. I don't know if we already met in person, but we kind of know of each other. His name was Sam Hodgson, mm-hmm. a really amazing photographer, and. Uh, he was on Hillary's campaign plane that day, but she just got that new Stronger Together plane that oh. day. And all of a sudden, we're <laughs> driving down the road at the Columbus or Cleveland Airport, and we all look. Like, his plane's over here off to the right, and then we look further down the, the way, and we find out that Hillary's plane, the brand-new plane, is on the same tarmac. Uh-oh. Like, and this was, like, later in the race when it, those two were the predominant forerunners. Right. And they're literally... Two campaign planes on the same tarmac in Ohio, which was—I mean, I none of us knew it was happening, and everybody's like, "What the? Yeah, whoa, whoa!" We're like, "You got to let us off and make pictures of this," and they're like, "Yeah, no," <laughs> <We're> like, <laughs> "Yes, please." And so we were—I was like, "Screw it!" And we just kind of popped down the windows on the bus. I started shooting off the bus, and then they made us put the windows up, so I started shooting through the glass and got a couple really—they uh, were okay, they weren't great. And then they let us off the bus and. We were kind of shooting off, and then I hear somebody go, you, you, and you are with Trump. And there was a guy from AP, there was a guy from Reuters, and me. And then they said, she said, everybody else is on the charter plane. And I'm like, it didn't click. I was like, so I'm on the charter plane. 
And the other two guys, I mean, they'd been doing this for a long time, especially right, right. with politics. And I was just kind of like, well, I guess I'm still in the charter plane. She's like, no, you're with Trump. And I'm like, on, on the charter plane. <laughs> just, <laughs> it wasn't registering, right? So I'm off. I'm on the tarmac, and I get off with these other two guys, and we're kind of making some photos. And I see Trump over there, like, holding his thumbs up, and he's, like, sitting with the tarmac workers. And then all of a sudden, I, I look around. He's, like, right in front of me, and he's and they're like, let's go. So I'm, like, literally walking up the plane, like, right behind him. Wow. When we get on his plane, I'm like, whoa. So I that mean, was one of those, like, oh, my yeah, God I mean, moments. That plane was, it was decked out. Oh, I don't doubt it. Yeah, I mean, everything you see in, like, any photo of. It's it, like made of crystal. I mean, there there was, there. Were, I don't know if it was gold-plated, but, like, the seatbelt buckles were you could have gold. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was pretty. And it you could have made, insane. like, $1,000 off a seatbelt buckle. Yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. That's but, great. I mean, yeah, we, we sat down. Like, I didn't know if we were supposed to move or what we were supposed to do. But we ended up, like, shooting. It was him and Pence. And and then all the cameras turned on. I think there were, like, six or seven people. We were the first media, I think, that was ever on that plane. Jeez. And I get off the I get off at the Canfield County Fair, and I'm, like, trying to shoot him coming off the plane. And, like, my, flo- my phone exploded. And not, like, physically. But, like, there were right. text after text after text. And Did you get my, the Samsung Galaxy 7? No, it was blow up on your face? <laughs> <laughs> I think the 8 was out that time, so yeah. we were all right. You're like, guys, <laughs> let me take my shots. Yeah. So we were, I was looking on my phone, and my editor's like, did you, were you on the plane? Were you on the plane? See, please tell me you were. I was like, yeah, I was on the plane. She's like, yeah. And so Pay raise. That day, they took Sam's photo, and he kind of shot it to the left side of the mm-hmm. fuselage. And I'd shot Trump, who was sitting on the right side of the fuselage. And they kind of took both photos together and made a full fuselage. Wow. wow. They didn't, like, manipulate anything. They just put the photos side by side on the right. front page. And that was actually my first front page photo for the Times. So That's insane. Kind of rad, yeah. Actually, first and only front page photo for the Times. <laughs> for now. For now. For now. Hey, yeah. Well, probably for, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Keep but your yeah. mind open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you got the skill to do it. Well, um, thanks. Appreciate that. That's well, incredible. That Yeah, that's insane. Um, we are coming up on time uh, okay. for, for about an hour. I wanted to see real quick. Mm-hmm. We talked about, obviously, presidential campaign. Mm-hmm. That is huge. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of other projects. Do you have anything that you're really proud of? Any other work that stands out to you? Yeah, I, I've been working on a project in the South for a while, for a few years, um, down in Selma, Alabama. and um, I used to live in Alabama. Where at? Uh, I, I think it was Birmingham. Oh, yeah. So I wasn't born there. I was born in North Carolina. Okay. But my uh, my dad's mom was uh, I don't I don't know her story as far as where she was born and raised, but she lived in Alabama for a long time. She lived in Tuscaloosa, Tuscaloosa, and Birmingham, and cool. just all in that area. So got, got bend a to both, bit of, bend yeah, to both, yeah, like There's, them both. They're cool. I remember cool going to a huge movie theater there uh, in Tuscaloosa. <laughs> okay. It put all the movie theaters to shame, like <laughs> around here. So that's awesome. There's my little two seconds. Yeah, bit yeah, about, yeah. About that state. So continue. Oh no, no, it's okay. Um, Selma. I was down there in like 2015 for the 50 year bridge crossing. They wow. do a jubilee every year for you know when the like people were beaten across mm-hmm. the Edmund yep. Bridge, and that it actually wasn't in Selma where it took place. It was actually in a place called Selmont. Mm-hmm. Um, if you as soon as you cross over the Alabama Bridge, that's like a whole different place. Wow. And uh, I think 65 or 67 people were beaten in uh, March. Oh, I'm going to get the date wrong. But I want to say it was like March 7th, March 5th, something like that. And uh, I was down there for the Wall Street Journal doing a, a story about um, a it was a place called Arsenal Accelerator. It was a business accelerator. And they had like a wedding photographer, a, a graphic designs person. And a guy who was a coffee roaster who ended up becoming a really good friend of mine. And uh, if anybody's in Selma, Alabama, I'm gonna make a little plug for Ryan. So make Hit sure make sure, you, make sure you go to Revival Coffee. It's really okay. good. Sweet. And, we love uh, our coffee. Yeah, he's he's always kind of a staple down there for me. But uh, the project, I don't know. I just you you get to see how like the word again marginalized, which I heard this weekend, it was used a lot. So I'm gonna stay with that. And you you see how pl- a place like that is. You know, I did not spend a lot of time in the deep south, and um, a lot of things are different than when we live in a place like Ohio. So um, uh, for me, when I'm curious about some place, I just kind of visually explore it with a camera. And uh, f- a lot of it's about conversation and things that I can learn and. 
uh, how I can be a better human being by learning from other people like that. So, you know, I think, I think as a Caucasian middle age, you know, a 40 year old man, we kind of, I kind of have a sense of privilege that that's inherent that I can right. walk into a place with that I don't really have to think about. Mm -hmm. right. But when I'm in a place like that, I do. And when I come back here, I do it for a little bit and then I kind of forget about it because right. I'm in the same place I was before. So, and I have that option of coming and going. So, right. Right. um, I go down there and I meet people. I do ride-alongs. I, you know, visit friends. I talk. I go out into the country and photograph things. And I don't know. Just try and make sense of where I'm at. So This project's ongoing? Yeah, it's ongoing for now. <laughs> I mean, I don't know when it's going to end. But I have a talk about it this weekend down at Ohio University. So first time I'm actually public speaking about it. And we'll see how bad I suffer on that one. But, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a good project so far. And That's it's been awesome. hard, but it's been good. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, do you guys have any other questions? Uh, I think I think a big thing um, that might help some people out there, maybe kids getting out of high school, mm -hmm. looking into college. Um, when you look at the arts and photography and maybe writing or drawing, it's not as uh, looked well upon. I think maybe by some or society or whatever. So obviously, you've been through it. You went through. Ohio University, you got your degree, you've been very successful. Some words for someone that's looking to kind of take on the same path. Sure. Um, you know, I mean, if you're going to be like a documentarian or if you're going to go into school and thinking about that, I mean, it comes it comes with a lot of responsibility. Um, you know, the, the game's changed. It really has. Like, you know, you're not going to get a job in a newspaper. You're more than likely not going to get a staff job in a magazine because those don't really exist that much anymore. It's more of an independent contractor world, freelance world. And um, if you love, I mean, learn how to tell a story, you know, concentrate on how to tell a story. The imagery, learn how to take a picture, you know, I mean, you can get, you can gain that knowledge, but you have to care about other people. Um, you have to care about issues that are going on in the world. And, you know, where is a place that you can actually be a storyteller and communicate that to other groups of people so they can make educated decisions on what you see? and what you're willing to put yourself in front of. Um, comes with a lot of weight, you know. Um, Physically with your camera gear. <laughs> True. <laughs> it, it, it damn well can. I mean, especially yeah. if you're doing studio work. But I've seen you around campus, right. man. You, you got a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm starting to get in better shape, which is nice. But yeah. uh, I, I think that, um, you know, I come from a side as a documentarian. Now I'm not so much of a documentarian, a journalism aspect. I work at a university, so it's got a whole different, there's a whole different, ball of wax there you know right. and I'm I've only been there a little less than a year so I'm still figuring it out but um I'm shooting marketing and communication so it's now it's more for a place instead of for a story it's per se but it's still kind of that same idea of like you document a place that um it's transitioning you know there's always people coming and going and things are always going to be different but it's more for uh it's it's in a private sector. It's not for an audience where you're trying to show what 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 the political climate is in the world right now or whatever. So right. I would say you know just be diligent, um, be patient, uh, make sure you go to a good program, um, really embrace your profession, and work hard. You have to work hard, or you're not going to be successful at it. Yeah. That's, that's and you know what? Uh, you can live anywhere and do it, even if people tell you you can't. So that's that's a big one. So well, there you have it. Famous yeah. famous words of uh, Ty Wright. Ah, we're hey. gonna we're gonna mark that, record it, and we're gonna play it over a loudspeaker somewhere. Mm -hmm. Awesome. <laughs> broadcast well, it at the mall. Yep, broadcast it at the mall. Well, thank um, you very much for coming on. Hey, hey I mean, thanks this, for having me tonight. Great. I really appreciate yeah, it. This has been absolutely just a, a pleasure. Uh, I think this has been by far my favorite episode thus far. Awesome. Um, yeah, so. I, only, I have no problem with the fact that I probably only talked a grand total of one minute on this episode <laughs> just because of the fact, like, just listening to you tell your stories and everything, it was just remarkable to listen to. Thank you. And I cannot wait to go back and let's, like just listen to this again. So. Oh, thanks, man. I yeah. appreciate it. Um, so, hey, uh, we appreciate you. You are always welcome uh, back here. If you ever want to come back and talk about projects that you're doing, we are growing uh, slowly but surely as a podcast. We've uh, just surpassed, I think, eight, 820 listens. Nice. So uh, we're, we're slowly 
getting out there. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it means a lot to have someone, you know, like you on, on the show. Um, Where are you at? Where can people check out your stuff? Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm at CCAD, <laughs> Columbus <laughs> College of Art and Design, yep. um, which I absolutely love and adore. They're great people over there. Um, TireRatePhotography.com. Uh, sometimes I still dabble in a little editorial work from time to time, but not so much in the last year or so. But uh, yeah, you can look me up there. Give me, a, give me, shoot me an email if you have any questions. Yeah. Feel free. Do you uh, you do LinkedIn and Facebook uh, and all that, yeah, or uh, more Instagram, Facebook? Uh, okay. Ty on Instagram, which is not any news stuff. It's more like an ongoing diary of kids and skateboarding nice. on a mini ramp and dogs. Just more family. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a visual diary, so that's I don't because awesome. I can't write. I don't. Yeah. Anyway, that's all. I like good. to write, but whatever. Um, and then <laughs> Facebook. Yeah, cool. Just it's more family oriented. So. Sweet. Awesome. Well, uh, as as we've said already, thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thanks for having me. I really um, appreciate it. Do do us a favor. Do you want to take us out? Do do like a little plug. I'm putting you on the spot. Oh. How, how would you, if you could end this show, how would you do it? He would tell everyone to check out the Third Floor Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for stepping in. No, um, I. Actually, man, this has been really cool, and it's kind of helping me prep for future endeavors. So, cool. Um, cool. It's cool always meeting like three people such as yourselves, and you know, seeing passion in a whole different realm. And I'm telling you what, man, if I if I wouldn't have done journalism, I would have went into radio and did radio storytelling. Nice. So, thank you for having me on the Third Floor Podcast, and this is Ty Wright with Mike, Todd, and Evan, and y'all have a fantastic evening. All right, we'll see you next time.